Hello and welcome to Please Don't Send Me Into Outer Space, the podcast intent on exploring all that science fiction and fantasy has to offer, one movie at a time. My name is Joel. My name is Sarah. And I am special guest star Gina Radcliffe. Yeah! <laughs> Woohoo! That was even better than Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I won't. Uh, I, maybe I should edit that out. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> You're like going to like offend him. Yep. <laughs> He'll never speak to me again. The movie this week is Twin Peaks, Fire Walk With Me from 1992, directed by David Lynch, written by David Lynch and Robert Ingalls, starring uh, a lot of people. <laughs> Cheryl Lee, Ray Wise, uh, Dana Ashbrook, I don't really know, Eric DeRay, Miguel Ferrer, Heather Graham, Chris Isaac, David Boyd, blah, 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 uh, Malcolm McDowell. Harry Dean Stanton. Harry Dean Stanton, Kiefer Sutherland. Listen, don't get excited by this cast list. <laughs> yeah, you they might only see them for a sec. <laughs> yeah, and many of them, will they're never mentioned. They disappear. They're never mentioned again. Yeah. Which is unfortunate, really. Like, I didn't... Uh, uh, we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, Gina, what's your, what's your history with Twin Peaks? Well, uh, I watched the show when it was in original airing. Um, mm. in, it's interesting when you look back from the viewpoint of how fandom develops on the internet. This was before all that. And I would say this is the first show that I became really obsessed with as far as buying all the merch associated with it. I, I read the, the secret diary of Laura Palmer, which was, Ooh. it was mostly softcore pornography. I was, yeah. I was, <laughs> I that's was, what I've heard. I was, I was quite, you know, taken back to to discover i was sitting there reading it in the mall food court and i was like this is scandalous <laughs> um yeah i watched it up to the very end um i revisited it a few months ago when i heard about the new one the the, uh, the reboot so yeah I, I i was into it yeah that's cool yeah that is cool i not, wish that not really but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I kind of wonder what it was like because I feel, I feel like um, there's always an eeriness and a and a quirky David Lynch stuff. But I feel like if you were watching it when it came out, then that maybe it was even I don't know. Was it weirder then than it is now, or was it the same? Or Oh yeah, I mean this is a cliche, but I they, they there really been nothing quite like that on television at the time. Just yeah. very weird, very dark. The the way it ended was there was really kind of no resolution, and that wasn't because they were they gotten canceled. They just decided that that you know, to leave a lot of uh, ambiguous endings and the the 
I don't want to give away too much, but you know, the main character met with a somewhat ill-fated ending. And yeah, it was just nowadays, it's not all that. I mean, most TV shows are kind of have a bit of a weird edge to it, especially like this would be something you would definitely find on, on Netflix at this point. But back then you were looking at like sitcoms were still a big thing and, and nighttime dramas were all still very oriented towards medical dramas and rich people problem dramas. And this was just, it was just really, really unique and different and kind of creepy and just weird for weird sake. And a lot of the stuff in it were, it was a lot of it was red herrings, which you know, kept the, the audience kind of going around in circles coming up with theories. And again, yeah. this, this was before the internet. So you were just kind of sharing this with the small handful of people you could find who had watched it because it didn't actually get very good ratings at the time, which is not really surprising. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure that the, the reboot is going to do pretty well because it, you people are still discovering Twin Peaks. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And you, then now that they, I think that the fan base has developed to a point where it, it, it would do, even if it was a new show, it would do much better. Yeah. Right. I, I remember, um, I was thinking back to like, well, my parents didn't watch Twin Peaks and I was thinking, what would they have watched instead? And I was trying to think of other shows my parents might have watched back then. And it was like Northern Exposure or something. Like I was trying to think of other TV shows that like grownups watch. They're watching Wings. It's, 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 it's interesting that you bring up Northern Exposure because I feel like that was sort of the light flip side of Twin Peaks. Totally, yeah. yeah it, it was in a, a quirky small town in the Pacific. Well, that was supposed to be Alaska, but but you know, quirky small, very rural town. You know, everything's and every and the whole storyline, all the storylines, kind of pivot on these you know, bizarre little small town characters. And in Twin Peaks, it was kind of malevolent and 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 creepy, and in Northern Exposure, it was it was light and silly and quirky and all these fun little townspeople. But yeah, that's that's interesting. <laughs> I didn't realize the parallels when I was thinking about that, but I think um, Northern Exposure was more my mom's jam than this was <laughs> for sure. <laughs> oh, the show! I mean, in the in the very first like pilot episode, you get you get your first glimpse of Bob, and it's like. What the hell am I watching? <laughs> I feel like there's something just like unnaturally inherently creepy from the presentation from Go. Like, what is going on with this? Right, and and even the people who don't don't immediately seem threatening are still very very weird in a, in, a, in an unsettling way. But I, I think it sort of captures that 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 small town creepy vibe where where I guess because you are you are exposed to those people more often you start to notice that they have these odd little quirks and ticks and sometimes it's perfectly innocuous and sometimes it's not and then maybe other times they're possessed by some sort of evil hippie spirit <laughs> it's always a danger so uh before before we get too far in it we haven't actually started talking about the movie yet we're just, we're just talking about the series this um listener yeah i'm talking to you we have to talk about what happens in the Twin Peaks series in context of what happened in the movie that we watched. Because 
I will tell you this. If you watch the movie and you haven't seen the series, God help you. Because... <laughs> I it's mean, weird anyway, but it's even weirder if you don't know any of that stuff. I but, think, but it also, but and yet it also gives away who the the yeah. who Palmer's killer is. That's that, that true. Is not, that is not something that's actually revealed in the series until I think the second to last episode. Right. So, I mean, I I mean, I don't think anybody's going to go into this, you know, list, you know, not knowing the who the killer is in this twenty five year old show. But I mean, I suppose it's possible that. Someone, you know, has been living in a barn these past, you know, two decades and said, hey, Twin Peaks, this sounds like a good idea. But you're, you're right, though, that don't, don't fly blind when this, when this movie, right. because it's, it's, I've seen, I've seen Twin Peaks all the way through at least twice. And this movie, there's still parts of it where it's just incomprehensible. Absolutely. Yeah. Incomprehensible in any way that a David Lynch movie usually is incomprehensible, but in kind of a much more upsetting way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and I will say that you know, if you can get past the first half hour, you'll be okay because I think that 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 peaks in what in the hell is going on here, and and it's also frustratingly, it's it's an entire it's a half hour red herrings. Because yeah. you yeah. have scenes that don't, they're, they're irrelevant, like the whole scene with the the woman at the airport who is making the gestures and the, yeah. like, that- yeah, that, that's like, <laughs> okay, I, I watched this movie again, I'm like, okay, that scene still doesn't make any sense. No, it, it's... I feel like, yeah, like when you when you watch Mulholland Drive and they're swing dancing in the beginning. I mean, maybe that's a metaphor for something that I don't understand. But it's like, where am I? What is happening right now? Like, it's kind right. of disorienting. Like, what is this? What is this symbolism for? And why is this person doing that? And, 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 it, and it just and I and I feel it was a deliberate choice. I mean, I don't know why it was a deliberate choice, but just to. <laughs> You immediately throw the viewer into some sort of sense of disorientation, and you've got you know, Chris Isaac character. Oh well, she has the blue rose, and and like yeah, okay, it's like okay, I, I guess we're gonna find out eventually what that means, and we never do. It's never no. mentioned again. Right. What him talking? What he's talking about? Well, she has a blue rose. That means something, and then his character. Just die. It didn't really die, but I think he gets sucked into you know whatever alternate universe laura palmer ends up in but he never shows up or is mentioned again neither is keeper sutherland's character and neither is david bowie yeah (laughs) yeah talk about a a superfluous cameo and and i am a huge david bowie fan and (laughs) and i i I was i was delighted to see to hear that he was in this i forgot he was in it and and then i watched it it's like and it's like okay that was completely pointless. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I saw him and I was like, my hero is in this movie. And, like, then he disappears and doesn't come back. And I'm like, no, come back, David Bowie. Surely they'll come back at the end, you know, to, to at yeah. least lead us in the direction. Like, oh, this mystery is still going on, folk. Nope. 
he, he kind of introduces a really unsettling dream, what I assume is a dream sequence. But yeah. but then a, he's gone. He's just he's just he's there for maybe two minutes on screen, and I'm like, well, all right, that was that was nice, I guess. <laughs> That's Agent Jeffries. Everybody knows right. Agent Jeffries, yeah. right? Yeah. It's this is the movie where you know some of those movies back in the day where they would hand out like the card so that you knew the terms that they were using in the movie. They should have had like a little pamphlet that they were handing out in the front of the theater. <laughs> Yeah, it's like this is this is Agent Jeffries. His character is completely irrelevant. <laughs> you need a little legend or something to guide us through this. Yeah, Absolutely. it was like you know, an ex- and, you know, is this character relevant to the plot? Y N N. Yeah, I. D- I d- you're right. It's like they must be kind of red herrings because I don't see how. It ever picks up and leads into anything else. It just keeps you on the edge of your seat, like, well, in suspense. Like, what is this going to tie into later? And it doesn't. Yeah, it's it's indirectly related to this this mysterious ring that that seems to act almost like the one ring in which you put it on and terrible things happen to you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not really sure what was supposed to have happened to Chris Isaac's character, but but <sighs> Yeah. Cer- certain, <laughs> certainly with with uh, the character of Laura Palmer, it kind of, I guess, leaves you vulnerable to Bob, I guess. It's, the, it's actually <laughs> Yeah, the he other... can see you like... <laughs> yeah, because the gir- <laughs> Teresa Banks, the, the first girl that is murdered, she's wearing it, and then presumably <laughs> the killer takes it from her, and then it's passed on to Laura somehow. It It doesn't... It does. I mean, I realize I'm making a stunning uh, observation here, but this movie doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, yeah, I agree. And, you know, with that whole Roger Ebert uh, thing, I, I don't know the exact quote, but like, if it's not in the movie, it doesn't exist type of thing. Yeah. Like, I, th- this movie is infuriating in that way. Now, I have insight on the ring thing. Okay. Uh, the reason why she put it on and then Bob killed her is because it was it's Mike's ring, Mike, who is the the one armed guy. Oh right, who, right, right. Who okay. is the is another like uh, eternal spirit or something like that? And Bob is afraid of Mike, so when she put on the ring, Bob could not take over her body, which was what he wanted all along. Ah, so he okay. he just kills her out of anger. Got now, it. Did what it, did it explain that in the movie? No, no, it did not. <laughs> I was going to say like the one ring. It makes it so that oh yeah she was invisible yeah no but <laughs> but the eye can see her. oh the eye yes absolutely that's true <laughs> I don't know yeah Sauron was <laughs> was all big up on the, in the uh, the Black Lodge or whatever you're right but I don't I, I find I, that the I find that the most cohesive linear plot is the you know who who's actually responsible for for killing Laura it's 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 you know, de- it's basically demonic possession. You know, so which, yeah. which is, you know, which kind of has all the the backstory of who Laura is and the various stuff that she goes through. Again, kind of irrelevant. Absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah i I was thinking, okay, it adds a little context to when I was watching Twin Peaks. I always felt like. They were saying, 
you know, oh, Lori used to do this. Lori used to do that on Wednesdays. And I would think, how did she have time to do all of these things Cocaine. that she was doing? She, <laughs> yeah. you know, did Cocaine. Meals on Wheels and she did, and she was a part of, you know, she was in many different relationships with many different men and like, and I remember thinking, how did she have time for all that? And they make it almost seem in this movie, like some of the stuff is in the past. Like they were talking about like one-eyed Jacks having been in the past. Well, she knew, I mean, she knows, she had known Teresa Banks who had been murdered a, a year earlier. Mm-hmm. So it, I think that the whole you know, last seven days of her life, I think just everything was supposed to be catching up with her. And also, yeah. you know, the, the creepy, you know, she starts becoming aware that the creepy dad might have something more to do with the, with Bob than she realizes. And, and I think it's just, you know, she's starting to realize that, uh, you know, the sh- is coming down as as it were but um i mean certainly in the in the in the, in the tv show she was sort of treated as sometimes happens when someone uh, dies tragically young as this kind of saintly individual who who you know was always helping people and she was one of the you know most beloved you know young people in town and then of course and again not not a particularly original concept she has you know this dark secret life that's you know, that's revealed as you know, leading up to the events of her uh, her unfortunate demise I mean, you kind of touch upon that a little bit in the in the in the show again with the whole secret diary thing but not to the point that this movie does as far right. as you know how dark and awful and gritty and nasty her her life really was. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It's like the it's like everything you've heard about Laura in the series, they show it to you in the oh, yeah. in this yeah. movie. <laughs> sometimes a little and more it's than you bad. want some, sometimes a little yeah. more than you want to see. <laughs> right, right. Like to a degree that is upsetting and you don't want to see it. Yeah. I just like when we get to Twin Peaks after we've established that uh we think that another murder is gonna happen. I just kept waiting for the levity. I kept waiting for them to go to Sheriff Truman and Deputy Andy or to go, you know, since we got fake Donna Hayward there, let's go to <laughs> Donna Hayward's house and see what Doc <laughs> Hayward's up to. Or, you know, uh, there's James Hurley. Let's go see Big Ed. And, and, you know, we see Nancy for a second. We see the diner and, and, and that, and it's like, come on, I'm, I need this lifeline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the funniest it got was, uh, was, was David Lynch at the beginning uh with the, Chester Desmond with the with the shouting everything. I I, I love that. That that cracks me up. Yeah. Like, Oregon. <laughs> and his and his whole like he has a reason and like some agents understand like uh, Agent Desmond or uh is it wait, is Agent Desmond uh Chris Isaac's character? Oh right, right, or? right. Yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah. There's, and, a of, uh, there's a lot of characters in this movie. <laughs> you, you said the ho- the hopping woman, which Agent Desmond is like, oh, he was trying to tell us something. It's like, why why wouldn't he just say it out loud? Because if you watch the series, he does the same thing, basically. He just kind of says stuff, and Cooper has to figure out what he meant by that later. Right. That first 30 minutes, it's like, yeah, I'm getting into this. <laughs> like I said, let's go to a coffee shop and talk to some weirdos. Let's... <laughs> Let's talk to Harry Dean Stanton, who I always like to see. 
And yeah, he's 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 pretty great. I I, I want to start call, referring to coffee as a cup of Good Morning America now. That's like <laughs> the, that's like that's like my favorite line in the in the entire movie. I'm going to fix myself a cup of Good Morning America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was great at it, and the. And we had actually tried to watch this once before, and I can't remember if it was like, like what exactly happened. I think it might have been that dream sequence. I I don't even remember. Like I don't, I don't remember the beginning part being so different than when it gets to Twin Peaks. Like I kind of remember the movie starting at like. When they're at Twin Peaks, maybe I wasn't paying attention. I, I don't know. The, well, because the first it's time- so it's so disconnected from the rest of the movie. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, nobody in the first half hour shows up again except except Kyle MacLachlan very briefly. Yeah, like nobody, nobody, and I guess if you count Teresa Banks, but right. no, nobody that has a a speaking part is shows up is referenced in any way nothing nothing none of the events are referred to ever again it might as well be like an entirely separate movie sort of indirectly related to twin peaks yeah yeah like before twin peaks or something like it just feels like it's even in a different was it in a different town yeah Yeah, it it was was somewhere in oregon yeah yeah and not too far away from what I understand. I was, I, I'm reading the Secret History of Twin Peaks book. And uh, I just got to the part where they actually reference Harry Dean Stanton's character in that book. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, oh, that's cool. If I hadn't seen the movie, I wouldn't, I would be like, why is this guy's picture there? Because this is just a picture of him. But it doesn't add any context so far to, to what I've read because I'm not into. Not in the modern times. It's just like progressing through the history of the area. Mm -hmm. And uh, I I feel like if this hadn't been like maybe if these murders had happened simultaneously or something like that, I I feel like they were sticking too hard to the narrative that they had created before that this murder took place before and they had to follow up. And that's where all of Twin Peaks took place because it would have made more sense and would have been more like an episode to me if they had like interspersed. Uh, Agent uh, Chris Isaacs and uh, Kiefer Sutherland walking around, and then we get you know the scenes with Laura, you know, doing whatever she's doing that is making me upset, and then we go back, you know, to the agents or something like that, like a like a parallel story. Yeah, 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 that, yeah, that would probably work a little better. Just again, like call back to it somewhere. It's just it's just so <laughs> b- b- it's bizar- random. <laughs> yeah, it's just so bizarrely disconnected. Yeah. Yeah. I liked, see, I like, I'm trying to pick apart things that I liked about the, the, it's not even the second half, the last three quarters of it. Uh, like the first half an hour, I think is, if you're into Twin Peaks, it's, it's like, you can easily jump into the flow, even though, like you, like we said, it doesn't turn out making any sense, but there's, that like kind of goofiness that they have, the you know, uh, keep your Sutherland spilling coffee on his crotch, and and uh, you know the the guy at the restaurant who's like, "Are you talking about that commissioning girl?" You know, or whatever he's doing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Harry Dean Stanton showing him around, like, and then every once in a while, something off would like add this kind of terrifying element. Like when we go into 
which I assume, I assume is the Black Lodge where we're seeing Bob sitting there with a, a bunch of other characters, including uh, uh, Billy Madison, uh, Billy Madison's uh, grandma. No, no, uh, Happy, Gilmore's, Happy Gilmore's Happy Gilmore's grandma. grandma. <laughs> yeah, and um, some, somebody who looks sort of like Paul Bunyan, and, and yep. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like I, I, little I, kid, the man from the a, other place. Yeah, yeah. yeah the uh, I I actually found the 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 little kid with the the blank mask pretty effective. That was yeah, because he would just sort of randomly be walking around the background, and and I don't again, I have no idea who he was. I I don't know what relevance he had to to the plot, if any. I no. don't think he was ever on the TV show. I think he was mm-hmm. just some sort of spooky image that. You know, people in, in distress or maybe perhaps people whose lives were going to be coming to an end very soon would, would see. But I, I thought it was as strange and inexplicable as it was. I found that pretty effective. Yeah. It's creepy. There's there's more than one thing that I found really creepy in the movie. And on the TV show, I mean, I guess since it was for TV, we didn't see some of the really bad stuff that David Lynch has done in other movies where there's, you know, things like people getting killed and raped and stuff. And, um, but I can't remember when exactly it happened, but I realized that like, I was going to probably be more afraid than I was of the show because, because of the stakes being higher and it being more of a, Oh of yeah, a movie type. Yeah, thing. I yeah. mean that that last ten minutes or so is brutal. I mean, I've seen a lot of horror movies, and and it's pretty relentless. So particularly when you take into account who it is that's actually doing these things to her, and yeah. and it's it's very. I mean, I think this is a. a a pretty good movie. I would never recommend it to anyone. I mean, I mean, <laughs> un- un- unless you are a hardcore Twin Peaks fan, I because there is so much about it that's just uncomfortable. I mean, uncomfortable is putting it mildly, but I mean, there's there's just there's there's incest, there's rape, there's there's child abuse. It, it's I mean, it covers everything in, in as bleak and raw a manner as possible. Yeah, completely. This is probably one of his least enjoyable movies. Yeah, that's and that's saying something. <laughs> and, and, I, and I say that you know, fully, one hundred percent liking Eraserhead. But this is probably less enjoyable than Eraserhead. Yeah, I have not seen Eraserhead. I, oh, I've seen. You are in for a treat. Oh boy! <laughs> yeah, watch it. Bring you back for an episode. <laughs> yeah, it, it makes me think of uh, Mulholland Drive. Yeah, like, there were things that reminded me of Mulholland Drive too. Even that has levity, though. <laughs> yeah, a it's, lot. there's a there was a long stretch in the '90s where I think he was trying to make movies that were even more obtuse, I guess, than, than his earlier movies because this was the same period where he made, did you say, Mulholland Drive. He also made Lost Highway, mm-hmm. which is which is another movie of his that I really enjoy. But also, again, no freaking clue what's going on in it. It, it <laughs> is it is definitely a movie that you more just kind of you you kind of throw your hands up and say, I'm not going to be able to figure out what's happening here, and and you just kind of enjoy the the imagery. But yeah, I think he was just. He, yeah, I mean, and um, Wild at Heart was another one that was very strange and seemed almost. You know, it's funny when people talk about movies like Dune and how weird it is. I'm like, that's 
pretty easy to I mean that plot is fairly easy to follow <laughs> that's nothing yeah, yeah but when you look at like Mulholland Drive or, or Lost Highway it's like yeah I have no idea what's going on here I feel like I've been dropped in the woods with a broken compass and I have no idea which direction I need to be turning so I'm just gonna let it just carry me along <laughs> yeah and I, I haven't seen Blue Velvet either, but there were things that I've heard about Blue Velvet that I thought kind of reminded me of the stuff that happens in this movie. Yeah. Well, you know, Blue, Blue Velvet is surprisingly one of his more linear movies. It's, it's, yeah. It is easy to, the plot's fairly easy to follow. The, the lines between who's a, for lack of a better phrase, a good guy and who's a bad guy is much more clearly delineated. It's just, Again, it's got some you know, bizarreness to it that may or may not be directly related to the plot and may not be relevant in the slightest. But it's, I would say it's way more of, you know, straightforward than, than, than Twin Peaks is. Yeah. If, if somebody told me that Blue Velvet like took place in the same universe as Twin Peaks or like a town over or something, you know, not, not including Kyle McLaughlin's character, you know, if it was somebody else, they, the story structure is pretty similar to like the vibe. Like he's just this small town good boy, you know, and Laura Dern is a small town good girl. And there's like this like kind of grossness that's just underneath the surface here. And there's sexual deviancy, whatever that means and drug use and all this stuff. It's it's right there. Yeah. That's a, that's a well he, uh, he draws from a lot. The, the inherent creepiness of small towns, the loss of innocence that that's a, that's a theme that, that is carried in a lot of his movies. I don't think he's ever made a movie that took place in a city. I think Eraserhead might be Philadelphia, but it's it's kind of difficult to to tell. But almost all of his movies, well, and Mulholland Drive, of course, in the Inland Empire, take place in Los Angeles. But certainly his '80s to early '90s output was all focused on on small towns and their dark secrets. Yeah, yeah. So this movie, Firewalk with Me. <laughs> I don't really, I mean, you know, some, you, usually when we do this, we, we try to, we do a synopsis of the plot. There's not really a way to do that with this. It's, it's the, the plot seems like it's simple if you explain it with leaving out the very confusing parts. Right? Uh, I, I, yeah, <laughs> I think, I think that, you know, if you want to put it in the most simplest terms, it's it sort of, it, it, it uh, follows the events that lead up to the death of Laura Palmer. I mean, a lot more happens than that, but that's generally the 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 thrust of the of the plot. Again, completely leaving out the first half hour, which has nothing to do with Laura Palmer. Right. Yeah, we know what the end result of the story is going to be, and that kind of becomes what the movie is all about after the first segment. Like we just know it's 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 you know boiling up into this conclusion point, man. Um, what was I gonna say? Ray Ray Wise, I think he's really good in this movie. I oh, mean, yeah. I think he's he's a, he he's was, good in general. Yeah, I mean, he is incredibly creepy, and and he does a good job of kind of struggling with with whatever you know, literal inner demons he he seems to be carrying around. Yeah. Um, you know, he's kind of a, a sleazy guy who, who, you know, wants to be a, a, you know, decent, 
you know, scion of suburbia, but you know, has these dark impulses. Yeah, no, he's, he's, he's good at it. And then Cheryl Lee is good. And then, you know, they're, they're, their roles, they're both, you know, kind of devastating in their, in their, uh, in their performances. And that's one other thing that makes this movie very hard to watch. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, uh, uncomfortable how, how real it is. And, there are a lot of things that you see in Twin Peaks that I feel like can be interpreted in different ways. And in this movie that there are these, you know, two people might watch the same part of a mo- of this and come away with completely different things about what just happened. And I feel like that's part of his magic with sound mm-hmm. is that he creates all of this suspense and like expectation and this um like i don't even know how to put it it's like there's so much feeling in the sound and right right and that that was something also in um in blue velvet uh like often on the sound and in, and in eraser head eraser head is particularly effective because yeah. there's this constant low-level droning in the background and, and half the time you don't realize it's there and then other times you you do realize it, and like the hairs in the back of your neck stand up because it's just this sort of otherworldly kind of mechanical noise and in yeah. and in and in um in blue velvet it's like birds tweeting at like times when birds shouldn't be tweeting and it's just it's all That's very creepy yeah it's all very discomforting you know, speaking you brought up sound and i know that uh a few people i've talked to who didn't who didn't like this bring up the scene in the bar where they are trying to talk to each other and basically what they're saying is pretty much nonsense like yeah. uh the character jacques renault says i'm as blank as a fart and to which <laughs> to, to which laura responds i am the muffin uh i my interpretation of that is he was kind of making fun of how hard it is to understand someone where you're talking to them in a place where there's loud music. Yeah. Yeah. I felt, I felt like I had been in that situation before, not with, uh, Jacques Renault or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I think that was supposed to be kind of a moment of, of levity. I don't think that that was supposed to mean anything except to sort of parody what it's like trying, trying to have a discussion in a bar where the music is cranked up to about 11 on the volume, about the volume knob. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I, I felt like it was funny and it was also like, real that you're trying to communicate with someone and you can't hear them but you get kind of snippets of what they're saying exactly exactly i wish you had subtitles in real life in that situation (laughs) (laughs) so that you could just tell people what you're trying to say and that song the the singer in that scene and she she gets to Laura in some emotional way. That part kind of reminded me of Mulholland Drive. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, Julie Cruz. She uh, works with David Lynch a lot, and always kind of has that sort of ethereal, other otherworldly sound to her music. Mm-hmm. They like live in the same basement, right? It's, pretty, pretty I, much. I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was. I just read some a very important fact that I, Gina, you probably know already. But apparently, David Lynch directed the music video for Wicked Games. 
I did know that. But oh the, the, my gosh. Well, the, well, there's two. Well, there's two versions. He he directed the one that was a tie-in to to Wild at Heart, mm. and then the the one that people he didn't do the one that people know more the 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 one uh, on the beach with I the think, model. Yeah, yeah. I think that was the photographer Herb Ritz. But David Lynch got to he more or less discovered Chris Isaac. And that was the first video. That was a, that was a, cause I was working at a record store at the time when that came out and I heard that song and I'm like, wow, what the hell is this? I need to find this and buy this soundtrack immediately. <laughs> That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing Chris Isaac on MTV when I was younger, but, um, and thinking he was kind of cool and liking his sound, but I didn't know that. David Lynch basically discovered him. Yeah, he got his. That is so cool. Yeah, he got his first big break uh, when Wicked Game was was featured in in the soundtrack to Wild at Heart. Oh, cool! Yeah, that is cool. Man, oh man! <laughs> so, yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to think of like I keep when I, when I'm thinking of this movie, I keep thinking of like. that first, you know, 20, 30 minutes, whatever, and how excited I was (laughs) to, like, you know, Kiefer Sutherland inspecting the the body with Chris Isaac, you know, and, like, that really disturbing picking up the the fingernail scene, which I I did not need, but I still thought was really fascinating. And these little points that connected back to the show and, you know, like, Laura has a, this piece of letter underneath her fingernail, which I'm pretty sure that is never explained. No, it isn't. In, in, in neither in neither uh, uh, regard is it ever explained. Yeah, they just say. I think Cooper just says that there's connected homicides with the things under the nails. Yeah, and that. By the way. I love Kyle MacLachlan and I love Agent Cooper so much. Like, I feel <laughs> like he is really a unique and interesting hero in the Twin Peaks story and in this. I feel like he's... I really love the whole, like, psychic intuition thing that he does. And I don't really know other movies that are supposed to take place in a similar to our world that have that kind, kind of, of like existential like acceptance type thing. Yeah. No, and I and I love detective shows. I've seen like a bajillion different be- detective shows, but there's no one quite like Agent Cooper. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. He, he seems to have an almost uh yeah, I mean he's basically almost like a psychic. But the thing was funny when um uh he Miguel Ferrer RIPD um is asking him okay well, when do you think is the next what do you think the next victim is going to look like she's like oh she's a high school student she's blonde she's on drugs he's like oh well that's half the high school students in America or something <laughs> <Yeah>. like that <laughs> <laughs> yep. yeah but at the same time it's kind of insane that he called it that closely too I just think yeah, I give, think that it's cool yeah, that he give, ties in. 
given how what what happens to his character at the end of the show, I, I'm very curious to as to how that's going to be played out in the uh, in, in in the reboot. It's gonna yeah, be, me too. It's going to be interesting because for one thing, the actor that played Bob died like a couple yeah. a couple years after Fire Walk with Me came out. So I'm not sure if they're going to cast another actor or there's just going to be he's just going to be more referred to than shown. Yeah. Um, it, it's going to be, I, you know, I'm not sure if they're going to be doing anything about the log lady because that actress is no longer with us. Um, yeah. it, it's got such a huge and very random cast that I, I'm a little, uh, I'm a little, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, but I think there might be a little, you, you, too many, you, too many cooks in the soup. And I'm, a, I'm, I'm a little, uh, I'm a little worried. I think it'll be weird. I don't know if it'll be good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to be. It's definitely going to be weird. Yeah, I'm a hundred percent into it either way. Oh like- yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely going to give it a chance. I'm just, I, I, I'm, I'm very curious and, and slightly nervous. <laughs> so here's a story from another podcast that, not one that I'm on or anything like that. I'm listening to this recap, uh, Twin Speak podcast called um, Damn Fine Podcast. Mm-hmm. And they had a guest on who uh, is in his 20s, and he he's literally been watching the show for the first time, following along with their episodes. So, uh, on the episode that they had him on, uh, talking about it, they had just revealed that uh, Laura's dad is a killer, and that Bob, you know, like, had taken over his body to do this stuff, and, you know, he, he uh, uh, Leland Palmer kills himself. And they were like, so you don't know what happened. You you didn't know he was the killer. And the guy's like, yeah, I had no idea. And, and he's like, so what do you think is going to happen with the rest of the story? And this guy, like, made my hair stand on end. He says, well, first of all, with Leland dead, that means that Bob must be looking for another host. And I was like, what the – did somebody actually think that back in the 90s? That's what I wanted to know because he didn't know how right he was being. And the people that were interviewing him didn't say, like, holy crap, dude. You were yeah. so right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he called it. Yeah. Yeah. I and just – yeah. It was really cool to be like, wow, somebody who doesn't know any of the plot might be trying to figure this stuff out and actually might predict something like that. It's just yeah. so it's just so weird to me that that someone would not would have no knowledge of it at, at all. I mean, even if you, it just seems some part of the pop culture zeitgeist at this point that it would it would be sort of like not knowing what the twist is in the Sixth Sense to me. Yeah. 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 What's the twist? No, 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 no! Don't, don't spoil it. <laughs> I do think that there are some twenty-somethings that are getting into it all for the first time. And I, I do think it's weird to think they haven't had any real reference to it. But I think it's cool that it's just as enjoyable now. That it's enjoyable for them now, too, and engaging. Oh, yeah. It's it's definitely aged well. It, it's not one of those things. I would not be, you know, like, looking at this and thinking, oh, God, this is so early 90s. Like, a lot, a lot of stuff you'd see from that period now, it's like... You just watch it and you just kind of cringe. It's like, this is so of the time. But I think because it was just so strange and different that now it seems oddly fresh and new. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. They weren't trying to do anything that was like 
hip to that specific era or on trend. No. And because of that, it has kind of a timeless quality, like, because they were doing their own thing. Except for the hairstyles. <laughs> well, I was going to point. I was going to point out that it's sometimes it's a little jarring because there are there are times when, particularly when they're going to school, where Laura and Donna look like they're some kind of like you know fifties college girls with like the little sweater sets and the and the. It's like no one was dressing like that in nineteen ninety two. Yeah, yeah, saddle and, shoes and the whole yeah, and they were all some of them were driving old cars and and you've got the kind of you know the the, the James Dean secret boyfriend and it's all very you know, adds to the general sense of unease of the whole you know where am i when i when am i kind of thing yeah, yeah. But, yeah but now it fits in really well when you've got shows like hannibal and and you know that the kind of and you know, like you know, what just started with um, american gods where it's that kind of dark, uneasy feeling is you know you you're getting that from Go, and that's carried through the entire series. So this is it's a better fit now than it was 25 years ago. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I feel like the 50s throwback stuff—the diner, the music, the clothes—you know, uh, the some of the lingo they they were using—that was all part of the veneer of the. Uh, the small town, like goody goodiness of yeah, yeah, the, totally. the feeling that he wanted, and you know their their problems were very nineties, like oh teenagers on cocaine, yeah, <laughs> like oh tons of money, oh uh, I don't know ditching school, but I guess uh, I, my boyfriend killed a guy <laughs> sleeping with a married woman. Okay, let's let's Bobby 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 killed someone. Bobby killed someone. Yeah, that's not something that's ever brought up in the TV show, I don't think. No. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's never, I mean, yeah. Being questioned by the cops and having to go through the things he went through on the show, I'm kind of like, dude, you killed somebody. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like that was just kind of thrown in as, a, as an almost an afterthought. Yeah. You know, it's just a kind of, you know, because it wasn't quite clear how, how, you know, how how far out of control Laura's life had gotten? No, she just you know, helped her boyfriend bury a body. Yeah, <laughs> during, during during a drug a, a a drug buy gone horribly awry. And uh, if you that that was another one of the missing pieces deleted scenes I saw. They it turns out uh, there wasn't drugs. It was just a bunch of like uh, powdered milk. That the guy had been, so they, yeah, he intended to kill them, but it, it doesn't make it, even seeing that deleted scene doesn't, it, it's just like, you should have cut this whole thing out, man. Yeah, I was a little <laughs> confused because I thought initially that that guy was the sheriff from the beginning of the movie. The one that he, um, Chris Isaac does some weird thing with his nose or like, oh, yeah. I, I thought it was him. And I'm like, wait a minute. No, that couldn't be him. Cause that, that guy was in Oregon and, and this was, that was like a year ago. And it was just someone that kind of looked like him. And also she called him Mike. And, and I think this is the third character in the, in the, in the, cause his friend's name was Mike. Yeah. And then there was one armed Mike. And there's this guy named Mike, and it's like... I I think she was tripping balls, and she thought it was high school Mike, because they had the same kind of bouffant-ish Oh, that's possible. That's possible, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter. (laughs) No, it doesn't. Again, it's it's, it's (laughs) completely irrelevant to to the plot. You know, Joel and I were listening to a podcast once that 
was about Mulholland Drive. What what podcast was that? It was like oh, I don't remember. One of those film ones that's like... Yeah, the one where they like explained it. What? You're is opening the, a book? Is it the like... No, was it like... Junk food cinema? Was it the briefcase one or the... The briefcase. Suitcase? Suit doggers? No, I don't know what the name of it was. It hey, was a well, long time ago. Yeah, what about it? <laughs> I was going to say that we had listened to this podcast about Mulholland Drive once, and this guy explained it in, like, a way that was, he had, like, a theory to explain, like, what happened in the movie, and um, it was kind of mind-blowing for us at the time how simple he made everything that we thought didn't make sense sound, and ever since I heard that, I kind of was like... Maybe there are other ways to read into this random stuff that's happening, but I think that David Lynch always has people kind of having these theories about what things might mean. Yeah, and, and I and I can totally buy that that not everything he puts in a movie means something. I think it's just sometimes it's it's added in there to create a sense of chaos, a sense of unease, and does it, it may not actually quote unquote mean anything to the plot. Like I, I don't think that the old lady and the little boy were were really relevant. They were just kind of creepy imagery that that you just kind of added to the overall feeling of you know is this actually happening or is this some long extended dream sequence? Yeah, the old woman and the little boy. He certainly made them seem like they were important. <laughs> like, what is going on here, David? Tell. Don't just do this. Like, I know in, he had intentions of making more movies because they were going to complete the story. And, of course, this one failed so bad that he just – he basically washed his hands of it for 25 years. Yeah, he got booed out of cons for it. Only the best. <laughs> I never want to go to con. They sound like they're assholes there. They, they kind of are. I, I don't know if this movie deserves to be booed. Like I said, I, I – like it. I just, it's not enjoyable though. And I, and I wouldn't tell somebody, hey, you want to watch Twin Peaks Firewalk with me? Yeah. As like a, as, as somebody who's becoming more and more of a hardcore Twin Peaks fan, I feel like, yeah, you need to watch it if you're like into Twin Peaks. Uh, but it's, you're, you're not going to be happy. <laughs> yeah. And it's definitely, I would say, advanced David Lynch. I mean, if you've never watched any David Lynch before, don't start with Twin Peaks Fire oh, yeah. Walk with me. I mean, you could probably start with the show, but but don't as far as movies go, don't start with this. Go through, you know, you try uh Wild at Heart, try Blue Velvet, try most of his other movies, then you get to Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me. Yeah. That was our introduction to da all day things David Lynch, I think, right? Was Twin Peaks? Yeah. I think it was yeah. like on Netflix. No, no, we were like renting the discs or. Yeah, I think maybe we rented it. Rented the discs from Netflix. You know, people used to do that back in my day. Regina <laughs> <laughs> yeah. knows. I do. Let me let me move my walker out of the way here. Um, <laughs> my, my first exposure was probably, of all things, The Elephant Man, which right. is which is pretty pretty much unlike anything else. David Lynch. No. Never now, 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 I've never seen. Was it the straight story? But the uh, the old yeah. man who drives around the country on a riding mower. I've never seen that. Right. I, I understand that's pretty straightforward. 
But if you were to look at a movie like The Elephant Man and like a movie like Blue Velvet, you'd be like, okay, this is not the same writer-director. Yeah, yeah who's this guy? <laughs> yeah, it's, but yeah, I mean, Blue Velvet was on cable a lot. I, I was obsessed with Wild at Heart for a couple of years. Um, you know, of course, you know, when you're a, a callow teenager, you, you, you swear up and down, you understand what's going on in these movies more than you actually do, just so you look cool. But again, after a certain point, I was like, you know what? It, it's okay that I don't know what's going on. I'm just going to enjoy it anyway. That's the kind of attitude that uh, people need to have, like, not just with David Lynch, like, with a whole bunch of things. <laughs> like- oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You don't, you don't have to have everything. I actually respect a filmmaker who doesn't feel the need to carefully explain everything that's going on in, 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 in their movie. Yeah. I think, too, that it takes a certain amount of, like, clarity and self-assuredness to be able to say, I don't know everything, and there's more that I can learn by saying I don't know everything. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And it's just an experience, that's all. We don't... Not a, Sorry. Fun, uh, not, a, not a fun experience, but it's an experience. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We we have a friend who's in his 20s, and we put on the first episode of Twin Peaks the other day for him while he was here, because he said he had never seen them, and he plans to watch the series probably yeah. when it starts. Yeah, but his eyes rolled out of the back of his head from, you know, the, the just for, and I, to his credit, uh, I remember reacting the same way. Yeah, I remember being like, what the heck is going on I'm here? Like, people like this? What am I watching? Yeah. <laughs> and then- I think the second go round, we were like, "Yeah, this is actually really good." <laughs> yeah, we were we were like saying, and and I remembered when I saw that again, I was mm-hmm. thinking, "This does so much more later because because of the way it's done, mm-hmm. you get all of these different messages from it, and all of these different." Um, I don't even know how to explain it, but it's almost like social commentary or, yeah, these cryptic ideas that are revealed through the story. But I can understand how if you just go in blind, you you might be confused and wondering what the heck is going on. Yeah, yeah. and and you and you you might be better off just saying, well, you know what, it's, it's okay. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna sit here and absorb this. Yeah. It get, and it gets better. If you start watching Twin Peaks and you go, what the heck is going on? Not to say there will never be, there will be times throughout the entire series where you're thinking, what the heck is going on? But it gets, you start to get really engaged and want to know what's going to happen next. Get in that groove. Yeah. Exactly. TwinPeaksGroove.com. <laughs> I'm going to say, yeah, squat on that, man. But, yeah. uh, you know, uh, yeah, Battle of Mente music, I- I'm still not sold on <laughs> on that stuff altogether. Oh, I, I loved on the actual show itself. It was very uh, effective, I think. It's just it's just a very heavy sauce. It's it's, <laughs> it's it's like oh the scene's going on. This is the flavor. Boom in your face. I, I like that very heavy sauce. I like that a lot. <laughs> I, understandable, understandable. I feel like they gave us one more track 
you know, out of all the tracks, there was like the sex track that you never got on the show. Yeah. Because they never really did that on the show, but it was like part of the same musical, like, soundtrack that he had in the rotation. Angelo, I need music for people to grind their hips against each other. I th- by, jo- by God, I think you figured out the creative process. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way it works. Uh, anything else you guys want to say about this? I mean, we, the funny thing is that we talked about Tw- Twin Peaks as like more of a like a concept, and uh, this the, the movie itself, and that's just the that's just the nature of the freaking movie. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, because you can't really say you can't really say, well, and then this happens, and then that happens, yeah. and then that in turn leads into this because it 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 really doesn't. It's like trying to. Do you remember the the comic of the family circus when they would have like the little map that would show Billy walking around the neighborhood had like the dotted line, and he would show like this convoluted path he would take to get from his house to like to go get the mail. It's sort yep. of like it's sort of like that. It's you you could try explaining everything as it happens and you'll still come to a point where it's impossible to bring it back around to the climax and how that leads into the show itself. Oh, I had a question, you guys. Nope. Um, (laughs) Do you think that she... Do you think that she really saw Bob? Or do you think that that is something that she was just telling herself? Hmm. Um. No, because other people saw him. Uh, like certainly in the in the in the the, be- the beginning episode, her mother caught a glimpse of him. Yeah. I get the feeling that, like in the show, I believe Leland says that he's like known Bob his whole life, or something like that. Like he used to go and spend summers by the lake, and Bob was there, and. I feel like there is a like a psychic connection through Leland that he passed on to his daughter and that his wife just through presence the presence of being around these two has become slight you know I I'm like reaching in here I'm reaching into the stars it's <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> slightly attuned to it so although she only occasionally sees Bob she definitely knows things are out of whack pretty often which is but she can't she can't put her finger on it the way they can. You know, she doesn't have an enemy. And Leland, at this point, since he is, Bob is like a part of him, doesn't acknowledge the fact that there's a monster in the house. He just knows something is, something is making him do and feel terrible. I think it's kind of. But I think Bob, yes. I, I do think she does see Bob. When I think about it, I think of Leland as having a split personality. Ah. And I know that Bob is a real entity in the show and on in this movie and stuff. But when I think about Leland with a split personality, I think, you know, he's always had this lingering devil with him. And that he takes it with him, and sometimes it takes over. And I was just thinking, like, is it is it a real thing? Like, I, I don't know. I guess that's one of those things that, yeah. Yeah, I don't think Bob can act on his own. I think 
he, in order, if he wants to hurt someone, he has to, uh, I guess possess, for lack of a better word, an actual person to, to do it for him. So I, I think he is sort of like a, like, a, I guess a, either a ghost or a demon or some combination of the two. I love that. And I kind of love that it's both or neither, too, that there isn't any real specific answer to what is happening. But at the same time, I feel like, and that's a, that's another thing. I kind of wonder if it's like a metaphor, like um, the evil that can get in you, the evil that anyone can have in the small town or something. Yeah, I don't know. No, I I I see where you're going, and I I think you're you're partially onto it, but I also do think that they're going the supernatural route. Just because of the media that's come afterwards, oh, maybe it is like a small town psychosis. Maybe maybe there's something in the woods that when you destroy the trees, it's <laughs> well, like entering their brains. Well, if you also if you look at the if you try to consider the the ending in the in the Black Lodge, it, there would seem to be that whatever the whole give me my garbanzio which is yeah. it was just basically translates to give me your pain and fear i think it was and i guess it's this is some sort of other being that sort of feeds off of this kind of thing i mean that that was that was my interpretation and that you know the things that bob forced leland to do that's the pain and the fear that he's taking out of him and giving this to 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 mike the other the other half right that's not, yeah, that's, Bob feeds off of pain and fear. I don't know what Mike's relationship to pain and fear is, but for some reason he can tell Bob what to do. And uh, the man from another place, the the little person, is. he even says at one point, I am the arm. So I think he's just another incarnation of Bob, or not Bob, sorry, of Mike. Right. And uh, Larry and Frank, and let's just pick more generic names for our spirits. Uh <laughs> Craig. Oh no, Craig. <laughs> it's like I am possessed when Gary visited me last night. <laughs> <laughs> Watch out for Gary. Yeah. 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 I I actually did like seeing the movie this time. When we tried to watch it before, I was like, let's turn it off. Cause like I think they introduced Bob again or something, and I can't remember exactly what I saw, but I remember thinking, I'm gonna be scared of this. It was scary. And I turned it off. Like this time it was scary. It, yeah. It, it is it is scary. I would say this is the closest he's come to making flat out horror. Yeah. Yeah. That's there's, true. there's a lot of upsetting scenes in this movie. And, and again, I would be very reluctant to recommend it to anyone because of the uh, various uh, you know, triggering content. Absolutely. Yeah. And that part where she's making out with Jacques Renault, that triggered me. Oh, I yeah. Did not no, like it. That, yeah, I did not need to see that visible tongue. Thank you very much. Nope. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Gina, where can our listeners find you? Well, I am one half of the, uh, the the hosts of the Kill by Kill podcast, in which we break down horror movies, as the title goes, Kill by Kill. As of this recording, we are about to embark on Friday the 13th, Part 6, so you can look for that. Um, just look up Kill by Kill on the podcast aggregator of your choice. And I write about 70s and 80s television at tunein.tonight.wordpress.com. Yep. 
I really enjoy Kill by Kills, so I recommend it to listeners. You people that happen to listen to the podcast, you should check out Kill by Kill because it's a lot of fun to hear how ridiculous those movies get. Although, you know, now that Roy's gone, I don't know if it's going to be able to hold its momentum. I, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm very worried that we've, uh, we've we've peaked relatively early in the game. Yep. We still have like seven more movies to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when you get to ten, we'll be on. I right? we're waiting. All right. <laughs> so, lessons. Do do either of you have a lesson that you learned from Twin Peaks? Fire walk with moi. Small towns are terrible places. Oh yeah, I grew up in a small the, town. I can, the, I can there was always a, just a dark undercurrent in every small town, just just filled with horrible people secretly doing horrible things. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. There's this tiny town nearby. This might be giving away too much. That that Sarah and I went to the elementary school at. And uh, recently, Sarah was looking at Instagram, and she was like, "Look at the hashtag for this town. It's just like white supremacists. Like my my Mexican grandmother used to live up there till she passed away, and there's white supremacists all over the place now. Like, what the hell? Oh yeah, small- I mean the, the 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 whole you know gag with you know, the romanticizing of small towns. It's like small towns are filled with races. Everybody is on drugs. You know." I mean, it's like the, yeah. the the whole thing with the. I mean, not to not to minimize or make a joke out of it, but you know, you've got like the heroin epidemic. It's all in small towns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're, they're they're dreadful places. Avoid. David Lynch is right. You know, exactly. yeah. And the thing the thing I experienced with small towns is that everyone thinks they know everything mm-hmm. because they're in this tiny bubble and they can kind of be the king of that area or whatever and then and then there's the the pretending that everyone is so perfect Mm -hmm. like the prom queen and stuff and then you find out and i'm saying this with full of love for the small town we came from there were skeletons in the closet big time and i feel like we we had to get older to really see that for ourselves absolutely yeah yeah, we found out that the quarterback shot some guy for drugs. <laughs> There's a demonic possession just yeah. happening around the town, well, and I'll never trust a ceiling fan again. <laughs> yeah, you gotta watch out for this, and and like the tacky like like oil paintings that you just find on the ground, or or, or the small children wearing weird with like a bird mask or something he was wearing. Just this hand here. This this painting would look nice in your room. Okay, strange old lady, I'll take this and hang this up. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I thought it looked like one of those masks that people wore during the plague. The plague plague yeah. mask, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Do you have a lesson? A lesson. Poor Laura. <laughs> <laughs> she never had a chance. No. no. My lesson. I think it, it sounds bad, but my lesson is. If your best friend is mixed up in some really crazy you should probably find a new best friend. And for God's sake, don't wear her clothes. No. Oh, yeah. Definitely don't. (laughs) Yep. That saved her life. It did. (laughs) But not on that jacket or whatever. 
<laughs> Don't you dare. Uh-huh. And my lesson is that if you're watching this movie, you can watch the first 20 minutes and assume what happens on the rest of it. That's that's my lesson for this movie. No, okay, I got to come up with a better one. Uh, <laughs> let's see. I want to say something bad about James Hurley, but no, that's, you know, he's, well, what, he's what, such a... What a dud that guy is. <laughs> easy dog to kick. <laughs> but he's got a motorcycle. Yep. And he writes poetry. He's like a... I don't even know. He's he's like the white Play-Doh. Like, who wants the white Play-Doh? Yeah, he's like, he's like a very rent-a-center version of James Dean. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's... Okay, lesson. My lesson is... Oh, man. What is... Uh, you're... Uh, 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 usually I'm better at coming up with this. <laughs> yeah, it's a hard one to pick a lesson from. Okay, here's my lesson. My actual lesson from the movie. And uh, it's too late. God rest his soul. Never give me a movie with only five minutes, less than five minutes, or with two minutes of David Bowie. Amen. Never. <laughs> Never. Yeah, 100% agree with that. I was going to say something like, you know, if you catch a glimpse of a star, like, hold on to it for a second while you can. Like, David Bowie. Yeah. Um, Cher- cherish the Bowie while you've got it, but this was upsetting that there wasn't more. Yeah, they misled us. Yeah, they did, and and it was it was seemed to be like some weird stunt casting. So I'm just I that's probably one of the more baffling aspects of a very baffling movie. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see you next week, folks. Thank you for listening. Bye, bye, and thanks for guesting oh, with thank us. You. Oh, of course, Gina. Gina. EarTrumpetAudio.com Ideas and entertainment. Loud and clear. (laughs) Ha 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 ha!